Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul gets very personal about his own shortcomings, and he comforts the believers in Corinth. But he also teaches us that by embracing our own weakness, we are able to experience God's strength. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. Well, good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Calvary. If you haven't uh, met me yet, I'm Ryan. I'm the senior pastor here, and I've uh, blessed to be back. I've taken the last few weeks off and um, super blessed, wanted to be back, but super blessed for our pastoral team, Pastor Kevin, Liam, Pastor Josh, the last few weeks teaching God's word. Wow. What a blessing and um, what a blessing that, yeah, this church, if you guys didn't know it, uh, you know it now. This church is not built on one person. Well, yeah, actually, that's a lie. This church is built on one person and his name is Jesus. But it's not about a personality. It's not about a man or a woman or any, any person, human person, uh, any pastor. This is about King Jesus. This is his church. But I'm so grateful for our, our pastors uh, sharing God's word, our staff. Uh, and I thank you guys. What a blessing, man. We miss you guys. Some of you, I think, were worried we weren't going to come back, or I don't know. Like, you guys are like, I think, was it Ursula? Where, was it, is Ursula in here? She, I think she's like, we were going to hunt you down if you didn't come back. <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am, I'm back. <laughs> um, so, so grateful for you and your prayers and your love um, for my wife and I and our, our family. and. It was crazy, you know, after we, um, our last Sunday here, um, then everything crazy just happened in Israel. I was like, oh man, and so grateful that Pastor Kevin and the team rallied the church together that Sunday night to pray, uh, pray for what's happening in Israel. Man, and not, we, we, we can't just pray for what's happening in Israel. We need to pray for the world. Because there is a deception. If you haven't seen it yet, there is a deception happening, not just around the world, but in our country. I don't know if you've seen the news. If you haven't, don't watch it, number one. I'll, I'll do it for you. Thousands, I mean, gatherings of the tens of thousands, Cornell and, and in Brooklyn and just different area, areas in our country alone gathering under a deception, and if this doesn't tell you that there is a, a spiritual battle going on, I don't know what will convince you. I don't know what will convince you that we are living in a day and age that Satan, he thinks he's having victory. He thinks he's, he, he's controlling the narrative and all of these things, and we know he won't have the final word. But guys, we have to pray. We have to pray for people's eyes and their hearts because right now, this demonic, I'll call it demonic, influence all around the world, this, these, these pro-Palestinian um, rallies, this sympathy towards Hamas is disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. Now, again, as I prayed, and I, I don't want us to be unaware, the Jewish people need Jesus. They are. I've been to Israel now three times. Uh, there is a lack of Jesus in Israel, right? <laughs> but we know the Lord's going to save Save many over there, but they need Jesus. Those that live in Gaza, who um, they need Jesus. Hamas needs Jesus. And we know that Jesus is in the business of saving people. But man, 
Guys, open your eyes. We are living in a day unlike no other. We are living in a day like no other. There is, should be an urgency to the message that we proclaim. There should be an urgency. So let me encourage you, instead of running to Fox News or CNN or wherever you, or Daily Wire, that's where I kind of go, Daily Wire, <laughs> or Telegram, like Amir Safadi, like maybe instead of always running there, run to your Bible. Run to Jesus, because you know who Jesus is? He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And so I know because when I left, I had a lot of more time on my hands, you know, this last month. And so I found myself watching a lot of the news. I did. I was like, oh, I got to stay up to date on everything that's happening over, over in Israel and Gaza. And, and, uh, and then I was like, oh, man, I was getting upset. And I'm like, this isn't the heart of the Lord. The Lord's in control. But would our eyes be fixed upon Jesus, you know? But like I said, I, I don't want to um, be ignorant about the day that we live. Anytime you see Israel in the news, and then all of a sudden Russia is now in the news. Why is Russia in the news? <laughs> you know, Iran is in the news. China's in the, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Many people have asked if, if you don't stay up on Bible prophecy, you know, is, is, is this war, um, the common question is, is this war that's breaking out, is this uh, a Bible prophecy? prophecy being unfolded? The, the quick answer is no. Not yet. It could be. It could be. Ezekiel 30, 38, it could be. You never know. When Russia gets involved, you never, you never know. But we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to be in our Bibles we need to pray for the Jewish people that they would see Jesus. We need to pray for the Palestinian people that they would come to know Jesus. We need to pray for the Russian people that they... And then there's still, you know, devastation happening in Ukraine. Wars and rumors of wars. I've read that once. Birth pangs. Signs that Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? So let's keep our eyes fixed upon him. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 13? And would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? The cool, while you're turning to 2 Corinthians 13, I got to say one, one thing. While Mary and I were um, away this last month, we were able to visit two different churches um, in our area, one up in Oregon City, one, one local here in Milwaukee. And um, I just got to say, and they weren't Calvary Chapel churches, uh, different even denominations. I got to say, the, one of the best things that we got to take away is that the church of Jesus Christ is much greater than just this room. Like the Lord is moving there are other churches out there proclaiming God's word. And I know we pray that a lot here, but I got to witness that this last month. That, oh, Lord, thank you. I mean, there was one service, Mary's just tearing up. And it was a smaller church. And um, Mary's just tearing up. And just the, the precious, just simplicity of God's word is going out. Isn't that good news? Sometimes I know we feel like, man, are we the only ones? Take heart, church. We're not the only ones. Pray for the churches of, of Portland, of Oregon City, of Milwaukee, and Gladstone, that God would strengthen this church. Amen? But what a, what a blessing to see that. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, Paul goes on to say, this is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are speaking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless you indeed, unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You may be seated. Today, we are concluding our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. And if you've been with us throughout our study, you know that the Corinthian church has been through a lot. As we've been seeing, Paul's been defending his ministry. He's been contrasting himself with these self-proclaimed super apostles, and the guys shared more in detail about that the last few weeks. And these super apostles, most eminent apostles, took any chance they got to throw Paul under the bus, right? And they accused Paul of not being a true apostle. They doubted his leadership. They doubted his calling, his, his credentials. And not only did they wrongly accuse Paul of these things, but any time they got, they turned the spotlight on themselves. They said, oh, well, Paul is weak. But guess what? We're strong. Paul suffered, you know, a lot. And, and true pastors and apostles don't suffer. Uh, oh, guess what? We don't suffer. And the sad reality is that the church in Corinth, they bought these lies hook, line, and sinker. And it was ripping out Paul's heart. You see, Paul's concern was always for the church. It wasn't necessarily for his reputation, not the allegations about him. He loved this church, and he desired to seek the Corinthians walk in humility and genuineness before the Lord. I think of uh, the verses that Pastor Josh covered last week in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, when Paul would write, I don't want what you have I want you. That was Paul's heart. Again, he loved this church. But boy, was their relationship fractured. Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, man, they was in desperate need of reconciliation, restoration. 
He said in verse 15 of the last chapter, uh, Paul would just write very honestly to the Corinthians and say, it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. Man, those are some honest words from a pastor who just loves this church. And for this restoration to take place, Paul knows that there's some needed soul searching that has to happen by the Corinthians. And that's what his challenge will be here in this final chapter. He turns the spotlight off of himself and he turns it back on them. And he says in verse one, he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Again, if you're just uh, with us today for the first time, let me kind of catch you up to speed. Uh, here he mentions three visits. We know that that first visit when he went to, the, uh, to Corinth is when he went and planted the church in Corinth. And Corinth was a, a city in ancient Greece. Uh, it was a young and vibrant church. He left there uh, after staying for about a year and a half to go and plant other churches. And after Paul left, the church in Corinth fell apart. Sin entered the church. Things got messy. They were dividing on so many different things. They're getting drunk on the wine that was supposed to be used for communion. Some are sleeping around. They're suing each other. Complete mess. And so Paul writes a letter to them because of what's going on, and we call that 1 Corinthians. That's in our Bibles. And it's a very corrective letter, very strongly worded letter, an intense letter. He's calling out their sin and calling them back to Christ, and the Corinthians hated it. They didn't like it. You just imagine just people just calling, calling you out on the carpet. They didn't respond too, too well to it. And so Paul visits them again a second time. So the, the first visit was when he planted the church. The second visit is when he went to them, and he calls it a painful visit, remember? A painful visit. And this visit doesn't go too well either. Paul's coming and, and, and he's trying to address these matters. And so he writes another letter. We don't have access to that letter, but we know it's called a letter of tears where Paul just pleads with them. And the beautiful thing is that many in the church responded well to that letter of tears. Many res re responded in repentance. They turned from their sin, but not everyone did. And here at the, the end of 2 Corinthians, he says that he's planning on making a third visit to them. And it's clear by this that you know that Paul loves this church. He's not giving up on them. Paul longs to be fully restored to this church. Remember in 1 Corinthians, he, he calls himself their spiritual father. Like that's just the heart that he has for them. And so he says, he continues in verse one, this is the third time I'm coming to you. He says, every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of three or two or three witnesses. And here he's, he's um, reminding the Corinthians of what we learn in Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19, 15 says, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or sin which he has committed, but on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. And, I, and I'm reminded just of Jesus, would, would, he too would speak on this matter in Matthew 18 uh, about how to address the habitual sin of others. How do, how do, how do you address in the church the ongoing sin of others, and he says, hey, we're to offer three warnings. You're supposed to offer a private warning. Go to that brother or sister in private. And then if they don't respond, bring, bring another two or two witnesses with you. And finally, if they still don't respond, you go to the elders of the church and bring them in. And if still, if all of those, those, those warnings don't, don't bring about repentance, the church's obligation is to exercise discipline and to remove them from the gathering. And Paul is saying, Church, I've warned you once. 
I've warned you twice. And let this be my third warning to you. In other words, Paul's given them plenty of opportunities to repent uh, and turn from their sin. And on this next visit, this third visit that he's getting ready to make, he was done giving out warnings. He was ready to exercise church discipline according to scripture. Look at verse two. He says, I have previously said, when present the second time, and though now absent, I say, he says, in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. So he says, I won't spare anyone. Now, it doesn't, he doesn't communicate the type of discipline that he's talking about here, but I think this is very similar. And if you're a parent, maybe you've used these words to your child when you said, don't make me come over there. <laughs> That's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from Paul here. He's saying, I'm coming over there, but don't make me come in a way that is needing to discipline you. We have to remember that all of this, his goal is restoration between him and the church. Now, now look at the, the second part of verse three. He says, speaking of Jesus, this is interesting. He says, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. And then verse four, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Now, I want to break this down really quick because here Paul is reminding them that Christ was crucified in weakness. Christ, crucified in weakness. And that, and that can sound strange to maybe some of you because when we think of the cross, we, we think, man, we, we love the cross, Right? The cross is a symbol to us who believe us for, of love, of, of victory. We boast in the cross. But we have to remember, though, that in their culture, the cross was an instrument of execution. Capital punishment was, was designed to torture, to shame somebody publicly. It was violent and brutal. To die on a cross was not strong. To die on a cross was not impressive. It wasn't heroic. It wasn't wise. It was, it was a sign of weakness. It was a sign of embarrassment. It was shameful. It was a sign of defeat. And yet Paul says Christ was crucified in weakness, but it was really power. Because the reality of what was happening on the cross that day wasn't somebody losing, but it was really victory playing out. Amen? And Paul's saying that when you see the cross through the lens of Jesus, you don't see it as weakness, you see it as power because it's God's means of saving sinners. So that's why he can say that the cross looks like weakness, but it's something even better. He says it's power. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
You see, many, many people, even in our day, that when you think about Jesus, you think about Jesus as, as the humble and meek servant who was gentle, Jesus who was patient, Jesus the teacher, Jesus the one who maybe offered his life and didn't really put up a fight. And, and often in our culture, and maybe some of you, you misinterpret that picture of Jesus as the lamb, and you interpret it as like his long-suffering as intolerance to sin. That you might think, oh, Jesus and I are cool. Jesus and I are just fine. We're buddies, and he's not going to judge my sin. He's a chill dude who just loves. But listen, we have to remember, church, that one day, probably very soon, Jesus is going to return to this earth for a second time, and he's going to deal with things, right? It's going to be a day, the Bible says, of God's vengeance, all the warnings will be exhausted, and the next time he comes, he's not going to be coming as a, just as a humble servant, but he's going to be coming as a conquering king. He's not going to be riding on the, a, don, a lowly donkey. He's going to be riding on a white horse, the Bible says, with a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, coming to judge. And Paul goes on, and he essentially says what's true for Jesus Christ is true for those of us who are in Christ. He says in verse four, for we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Paul, too, was patient. Paul loved the Corinthians, and he desired for them to repent, but don't mistake his patience with passivity, right? Because Paul's telling them, Corinth, time's up, I'm coming back. And he's ready to exercise the spiritual authority that was given to him. And he says in verse 5, he says, okay, this is true. It's coming. Verse 5, he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed, you fail the test. Paul, Paul again, he's telling them, he says, Corinth, check yourselves. Measure yourselves. Corinth, you want to measure me? Measure yourselves by the same standards. You want to look at my conduct? Look at your conduct. You want to measure my motives? Corinth, measure your motives. And he says, see if you're in the faith. See if you're in the faith? Now, I want to be clear about something. Because Paul believes, and I can say this with certainty going through this letter, that he believes that most of the people in the, in the Corinthian church are Christians. Because throughout this letter, he refers to them as brothers, sisters, right? That, that is people, men and women in the body, in the family of God. He calls them saints. He refers to them as saints. He, he thinks many are saved, but with all of the sin that's been going on in the church, he thinks that perhaps there are some who are genuinely not following Jesus. And while this is true for the church in Corinth, this is true for every church. And so Paul is acknowledging this for them, and he's calling them to examine themselves. Corinth? Examine yourselves. Are you a genuine follower of Jesus? Are you a genuine follower of Jesus? Paul was aware that there could be some in the church claiming Christ, but were not actually Christian at all. And I think this is very applicable to the church in America. You agree? 
Did you know that the vast majority of Americans still say that they're Christians? The, the latest number that I, that I read this week um, from a, a study out of, I think, a college in Arizona says that 63% of people in our country say that they are Christians. Now, there's a lot we can say about that, number one. <laughs> but I would sum it up like this. That means that there are a lot of people in our country who think they are Christians, but they're not. That's the sad reality. And a lot of this is because people just don't know what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus. A lot of people just assume, well, I'm American, right? I believe in God. <laughs> Christian. I go to church. I went to church with my grandma when I was growing up, and therefore I'm a Christian. Or others are like, well, I'm not a Muslim, not a Mormon, not an atheist. I'm a Christian. So church, we have to be very clear on what it means. What does it mean to be a Christian? If someone were to ask you, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would you say? How would you respond to them? This is a good thing for us to, to ask this morning. Listen, in short, to be a Christian means to, number one, believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And secondly, to know and follow Jesus in every aspect of your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so if believing the gospel, the good news of Jesus is at the heart of all of this, we have to be very clear on what the gospel actually is. Because again, if someone were to ask you out to coffee this week and says, hey, I'm curious about every, all things Jesus, what's this gospel? How would you respond to, the, to this question? Because many of us, we might answer that a lot differently. Did you know that the Bible... Every book, every, every story here, this is God's story of redemption. It's God's story of redemption. So think about the gospel in these terms. You know, God in Genesis created the world. And he created the world with purpose, amen, right? It wasn't just like, well, we'll see how it goes. Like, woo, <laughs> have fun. No, he created it with purpose. He created Adam and Eve, and, and he didn't just like throw them out there, but he, he created them with for relationship. And they cultivated just the garden, and just, it was this beautiful time where God was just reigning over all in perfect relationship with his people. And then in Genesis chapter three, <laughs> sin entered the story. Sin entered the story where Adam and Eve chose the creation over the creator, right? They chose to do things their own way. They chose to find satisfaction in lesser things rather than God. And what we, what we see is that this sin, not only does it fracture the vertical relationship between us and God, it fractures every horizontal relationship with one another. And so what does God do? This is the story of scripture. What does God do? He sets out on a rescue mission, right? He responds to the sin of humanity with mercy and compassion. Are you grateful for that? And so he calls this people Israel, right? And he doesn't choose Israel at the exclusion of the world, right? He chooses them for the sake of the world. And he says, I'm gonna form you as a people so that you might reach the nations, God was going to reveal himself through this nation, but Israel falls short over and over and over again. That, that, that saying is summarized throughout the whole Old Testament. They started strong and then they failed. They failed, they failed, they failed. And the, but the Messiah was going to come from Israel, the promised one, the savior of the world who would bring about God's rescue, and his name was Jesus. 
And Jesus came and he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, but he did it like no other would do it. The king, we're told in the New Testament, came as a servant. Right? He came as poor, not as a prince. He reigns by giving up his life, right? He doesn't punish his enemies. No, he dies on their behalf. Why would he do this? Right? This is the craziest part. He does it because of love. King Jesus gives his life for us. Because when he looked upon us in our sin and our shame, he was moved with compassion and mercy. And Jesus not only died on the cross, but he rose from the grave. And so, church, the good news, the gospel is this announcement, is a declaration that Christ died for our sins, that he rose from the grave so that we can be saved so that we can be reconciled back to God, so that we can be restored back to God. Not by trying harder, get that out of your gospel message. (laughs) Not by keeping a bunch of rules, take that away too, but all of this is made possible by God's grace, his unmerited favor. And so to be a Christian, so when you have coffee this week with someone and they say, what's the gospel? To be a Christian is to believe that at the core of your being, your heart. And then to simply live your life in light of that good news, in light of who you are in Jesus. Paul would write to the Ephesians, and in Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. He says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So we're saved by grace. You can't earn your way. You can't earn favor with God. It's by grace. But grace doesn't mean that you can just do whatever the heck you want to do in your life, right? No, we're saved by grace. We're sustained by grace. But grace sanctifies us. That is, grace makes us more like Jesus. And, and he says here that, we, that God has prepared good works for us to walk in them. That's the point of the Christian life is, is to receive this and just to follow Jesus. So how do you know if you're a Christian? Remember, Paul's telling the Corinthians, examine yourself, Corinth. So how do you know you're a Christian? I think there's two questions that really help with that. The first one is this. Have you trusted Jesus for your salvation? Have you trusted Jesus for your salvation? John 1 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So have you received Christ and believed in his name? Because if you do, it says that you're born again. You're given a new life. You're made to be a new person. So have you trusted, church, Jesus for salvation? And the second question is very simple. Is is there fruit in your life that that reflects this genuine faith? Matthew 7, 17 says, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, he says, you will know them by their fruits. So have you trusted Jesus for salvation? And is there evidence of that faith in terms of fruit in your life? Is there change? Has there been change? Has, has there been growth? Are you, are you a different person in a good way from where you were last year? Do you love God's word more than you did last year? Has there been repentance of sin? Are, are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Now, again, the question is not, are you perfect, okay? Root that out. The question is, is there fruit in your life? Is there fruit in your life? Are you growing when there's sin in your life because there's gonna be sin? Are, are, you, are you repentant of it? Do you seek to change from it? Now, before we move on, I know asking these questions, how am I saved? Like, how do I know I'm saved? This, is, this question is not meant to cause you to doubt your salvation, okay? This, this, this question is not, Paul's not raising this so the Corinthians have, have these feelings of, of insecurity or even uncertainty. Listen to this, church. The Bible makes it very clear that you can have assurance of your salvation. Did you know that? 1 John chapter 5 says this, and the, the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. He says it's really simple. Whoever has the son has the life, has eternal life. So have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior? Is there fruit of that? You're like, yeah, I think there is. You're a Christian, like you're saved. And you can have that confidence. You can live your life with a firm foundation, knowing that you're a child of God. So let me ask you this morning, very directly, let me ask you very bluntly, examine yourselves. Are you a Christian? Calvary Southeast, first time visitor. <laughs> Are you a Christian? Again, a lot of people might say, well, I try. <laughs> I go to church, I, I miss some Sundays, I try and read my Bible, it doesn't really make sense, and I pray, but I don't really know what to pray. Listen, if that's your answer, it reveals that you, what you think about like your relationship with God is like based on your performance. And so it's like, well, what, whether I'm a Christian or not today, all, it, it all just, it all depends on the day that I'm having, right? But let, I just want to remind you that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is solely based on the grace of God, not your own doing. Your relationship with God does not depend on your performance, church, and so if you're here today and you don't know or you didn't know, I'm calling you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the call this morning, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to plant your flag and say, God, my life is yours. I'm not gonna live my life for myself. I'm not gonna be this wishy-washy person, one foot in the church, one foot in the world. No, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I'm putting my faith in you and I wanna have certainty that I'm a child of God. And no one can take that from you. Let today be your day. That's the call. Now, as we keep going through our passage, you're like, man, we're only on verse five. 
Let me just summarize verses six through nine for you. It says, you know, they've been questioning Paul. He's telling them to examine themselves to see if they're just genuine followers of Jesus. And then he's saying, I am a genuine follower of Jesus. I've trusted in Christ. I've clung to God's grace and I've, and I've endured the hardest times. And then this is what he says at the end of verse nine. I want you to turn your attention to verse nine. He says, this we also pray for, that you be made complete. The ESV says this, your restoration is what we pray for. I love that. As Paul is coming to the close of this letter, he's saying, Corinth, remember, this is what we long for. Corinth, our deepest prayer for you is that you would be restored. And so just as it was for them, we too, church, we need spiritual restoration. Maybe you're here today and you've wandered from the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you've been hurt and, and that has led your heart to becoming callous, maybe even callous towards God. Maybe you've run from God. You're running from God. Maybe you've forgotten completely about God until this morning. <laughs> but today, you can say this prayer out of Psalm 23. I'm gonna read it for you. It'll be on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. That can be you this morning. He can restore your soul. Perhaps in all the busyness of life, you've neglected your soul. You ever been there in seasons of life? I've been there. Neglected my soul. Maybe you've worked hard on your physical body, right? You're like, man, I've got the gym down. Got the... There was too much bounce back there no, for the analogy. I, I got the six-pack. <laughs> Listen, church, God can restore your soul. I've been focusing on my career, but you've neglected your spiritual life. Listen, God is a good shepherd who guides us who teaches us, who disciplines us at times, who loves us. Psalm 51, we could pray this as well. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing heart. Maybe that needs to be your prayer today. Lord, would you restore to me the joy of simply just knowing you? I mean, I thought, knowing, I thought being a Christian was about so many different things. Playing the part, going to church, all these, uh, just, Lord, I just wanna have Joy restored, just the, the knowledge of you, the relationship I have with you. Maybe for some of you, you've been faithful, but you're tired. Maybe you're here this morning and you are exhausted. Maybe you, you don't feel that there's joy in your life. Again, I know these feelings. First, let me, let me do something. Let me commend you for being faithful in the midst of heartache and suffering. That is not easy. There are times in life, speaking from experience, that it doesn't feel great and, and, and you don't feel God's presence. Have you been there? God, where are you? And you just gotta be faithful. You show up, right? You're, you're obedient, you gotta trust. But again, we can pray in the midst of that, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me this joy. 
The Bible says, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Look at verse 10. He says, for this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me. He says, for building up and not for tearing down. Again, Paul is saying, I would much rather give this last warning to you in this letter so that when I do come, I don't have to exercise this authority that God's given me. I don't have to exercise this discipline, but rather spend my time building you up and encouraging you. Paul desired that his upcoming, you know, reunion with the church in Corinth was not going to be tense and awkward and strict, but one of love and grace and encouragement. You know, years ago when my kids were quite younger, Oftentimes, I call my wife on my way home from, from the office and just quick check in, see if she needs anything from the store and, you know, for dinner. And, um, and just quickly, hey, how was your day before, before I get home? And, and there were times, man, when the kids were just giving her a hard day. And I, you just knew it. One, you kind of just know it in her tone. She feels like she just ran a marathon <laughs> and she hadn't left the house, right? And there were times that she would say, I need you to deal with the kids when you get home. Am I willing? Yes. But I would so much rather come home, not to deal with my kids to have to discipline them, right? But to, to this warm, to come home to a warm reception where everyone is just doing well. Like I'm willing, I'm their dad. I need to do this. This is the role I play. But how much better is it, right? To drive home to know, okay, I get to just be with my kids. I just get to be with my wife. And that's what Paul's saying here. Verse 11, he says, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. As Paul just closes out his letter, he exhorts them in a couple of ways. He says, rejoice, Corinth, be full of joy. Be made complete. This is his, just again, that final exhortation to them. Corinth, grow into maturity. Don't get distracted by all these different things. Don't, don't settle for lesser things. Press into Jesus, Corinth. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow Jesus. Be conformed into the image of Jesus. He says, be comforted. Remember, we learned about this early in the chapter. He's just reminding them. The comfort, Corinth, that you've received from the Lord, comfort others. Be like-minded. Paul's calling them to, to unity, to the unity they have in Christ. Don't get caught up in, in personality contests, but support one another. Rally behind one another. Cheer one another on. He says, live in peace. Don't fight. Don't have unnecessary disagreements. And he says, if you do these things, the, the love and peace of God will be with you. And then he ends with a benediction, which simply means good word or just a, a blessing spoken, a good uh, word spoken over you. He says in verse 14, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul ends this letter again on a positive note. He speaks this Trinitarian blessing over the church. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, Corinth, be with you all. 
Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times, location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together.